Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. And Grand Rising Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your week with us. Later, the University of Houston's Dr. Gerald Horn will take over our classroom. Now, Dr. Horn, who's also an attorney, will analyze Fannie Willis's chances of remaining on the Trump RICO trial. Dr. Horn will also discuss the issues in Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, Namibia, Gaza, and South Africa. Dr. Horn will also review Ava DuVernay's movie, Origin, and more. But to get us started this week... Historian Dr. Walter Williams. Good morning, Dr. Williams. Good morning, Carl. And how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing, sir? Good. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, okay, we're in class this morning, so help us, you know, because we've heard the terms Muslim and Moslem. We keep hearing these terms, and uh, at one time I thought they were interchangeable, but you say that's not so. No, that, that's not so. so. One is a Muslim. One is a Muslim, and we're talking about the Muslim being the nation of Islam. And the Muslims uh, later became uh, the, Mus- the Muslims of today's Islam. So there's a difference between the two ideologies. So here today, this morning, I will explain the difference. Um, so. Uh, I'm going to begin with uh, a man known as Noble Drew Ali, a.k.a. Timothy Drew, who in 1913 in Newark, New Jersey, he uh, started a movement among hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers that he gathered through this movement and his ideology. Uh, His movement and ideology is known as the Moorish Science uh, Theology. And uh, he created that theology in 1913 uh, in New Jersey. And uh, that theology uh, uh, attracted hundreds and hundreds of followers. And... uh, Later, uh, 15 years later, he moved that uh, movement to Chicago, Illinois, uh, where he set up shop on the northwest side of Chicago. Upon arriving in Chicago, uh, Noble Drew was arrested by the Chicago police. They beat him. Uh, I don't know what reason, but probably racial reason. And, uh, you know, Chicago is a very racist city anyway. And uh, next year, uh, 1929, he died. 
And uh, uh, in to Chicago came another man by the name of Fard Muhammad take over his organization. Uh, Fard Muhammad was a uh, Muslim from uh, from 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 Arabia, and he uh, was not liked by the members uh, of uh, Noble Durali. So he was rejected, and he fled into Detroit, where he met a man by the name of Elijah Poole, later to be known as Elijah Muhammad. He taught Elijah Poole uh, everything about that he knew about uh, uh, Islam. So uh, Elijah Poole uh, began the movement uh, that we know today. And uh, they don't practice, uh, let's say, the Hajj that is taking place every year in uh, Mecca. They don't practice that. They practice what is known as Savior's Day. I think this weekend in Detroit, or later on in this month, you're going to have a Savior's Day. Right, Sunday. Uh, yeah, Sunday Savior's Day. For the nation of Islam. So uh, that's the first difference, Muslims, M-U-S. And then um, the next difference is that... Um, uh, you have to deal with before you get to the Muslim part. You have to deal with Mohammedanism. Mohammedanism started with a, a man by the name of um, who was born in Spain in 1165, and uh, uh, he was taught by a female. A teacher as he was growing up. Um, so his name was Muhammadan Arabia. And uh, that's where the country that we know today as Arabia is named after. Um, again, he was taught by a 92-year-old uh, female by the name of Fatima Bent, Fatima L. Bent, and she taught him uh, how to uh, how to be a, a, a clairvoyant. She taught him how to be a psychic. She taught him how to be a a, 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 a fortune teller. She taught him uh, how to write poems, uh, and uh, and later on he became the author of two books. The I, uh, Hakeem, the, the L, uh, the I, Hakeem, and, 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 and he wrote another book uh, called uh, Akam. I, Hakeem, and I, Akam. Those are his two uh, books that he wrote. And uh, so uh, that movement started when. Uh, uh, in 
1239, um, his followers in Egypt, because he moved to Egypt and he moved into Northeast Africa. Uh, Northeast Africa today is called the Middle East. So he went into Northeast Africa. And in uh, 1139, he picked up a, a, a whole slew of followers who began to uh, follow him and teach his philosophy uh, throughout the region. And uh, uh, in 1300, uh, the Ottoman Turks, who were in charge at that time of that area and region of the world, uh, after uh, Mohammedan Arabia died in 1240, they began to, two more years later, they began to pick up his ideology and they uh, went to the people that they were uh, con- uh, ruling and controlling under their empire and they took a sword and went and put to their necks and said, Muhammad or die. So um, uh, that's what uh, uh, took place at that time. And then I'm going to move you to another section of history containing this subject. Uh, In 1860, the AIU was formed. The AIU means means that the Alliance Israelite University of Paris, France, was created in in, in 1860. Um, And uh, that was a Zionist group that's still in operation today as I speak. Uh, They sent uh, a group of scholars into Syria in 1870 to create literature for the Mohammedan world. Um, So it took them 49 years to develop this this literature. And and they uh, later presented it to uh, the Mohammedan world. Now, this literature that they created, uh, and the reason why they wanted to create this literature is because they wanted to get Abraham in this literature. Because Abraham is part of the three major Western religions, uh, Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism. So they wanted to keep that tradition going and to make sure that Abraham was included in this uh, religious ideology that they're bringing forth uh, uh, in this time in world history. Now, they um, uh, they uh, created, uh, the literature that they created was accepted in, in 1919 in Egypt. After World War One, uh, World War One, 1914, 1918, World War One was uh, defeated, and 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 uh, the Germans that were helping the Ottoman Turks build a railroad in um, in that area of the world in Arabia. So 
um, uh, created what is known today as a Quran. Now, uh, hold up, though, right there about the Quran. Uh, I'll let you get into that when we get back, but we got to take a quick break. And Betty in Long Beach has a question for you. Family, you just joined us. Uh, happy President's Day. It's a holiday, a federal holiday. But uh, we're in the classroom this morning with Dr. Walter Williams. He's a historian. He's telling us there was the difference between Muslim and Muslim. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Those are the numbers to get you in if you'd like to speak with Dr. Williams. And we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. 20 minutes after the top there. We're back in the classroom this Monday morning with our guest, Dr. Walter Williams. Dr. Williams is explaining the difference between Muslim and Muslim. You know, before the end of this session, you'll understand the differences and how they all started. Before we left for the break, we were about to tell us about the Quran. And Dr. Williams, Ben in Long Beach has a question coming up for you. But I'm going to let you finish telling us how the Quran was created. Okay, the Quran was created by the AIU, Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, which is a Zionist group that was organized in 1860 in Paris, France. And they uh, took upon themselves to come to Syria with a group of scholars uh, from that organization in, in 1870 to create literature for the Mohammedan world. Now, the Mohammedan world did not have any literature uh, for its teaching, so they took it upon themselves to make sure that they had uh, literature for their world of thought. And uh, they created this uh, Quran that we know today uh, uh, in, in Syria, and it took 49 years for, before it was accepted in and by the Ottoman Turks in 1919 in Cairo, Egypt. Now, that Quran uh, today, or uh, at that time, uh, in order to have a religion called Islam, you have to have the Quran. So therefore, the Quran is a book uh, that houses today's uh, uh, today's Islam. So therefore, uh, so therefore well, help us out here. When you say Islam, it's so Muslims and Muslims are both is Islamic, they both practice Islam. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No, they don't practice. I've seen the M-U-S, the Nation of Islam is the M-U-S, 
They don't practice traditional Islam because they have Savior's Day. They don't. They celebrate Savior's Day once a year. And then the, the M.O. the Muslim uh, go to Mecca and make a Hajj every year. You see, that's the, that's the two difference. You see, like when uh, Malcolm X went to Mecca to make his Hajj, he saw the difference between what they were doing at the Hajj and what Elijah Muhammad was teaching. So he came back, and everybody knows the story after that. But uh, Islam is based upon a book called the Quran. Interspersed inside of the Quran today, as I speak, you have the Pentateuch and Psalms, which are Jewish writings. Interspersed in today's Quran, you have the four Christian gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. It's interspersed inside of that Quran. So uh, that is the basic foundation of how uh, the Quran, the first Quran came about. And uh, in, uh, in 1919, Keith Ellison, who, was, uh, who is today the Attorney General of Minnesota, uh, uh, at that time he uh, was a congressman, he got sworn in on that Quran, supposedly belonging to Thomas Jefferson, uh, which was the 1919 Quran. So uh, that's part of that history. Now, uh, to go today and to the shorter encyclopedia of Islam, uh, the Shorah Encyclopedia of Islam on page 390 says they have no biography for a Muhammad. So Muhammad does not exist. They have no biography for a Muhammad. Now, also, um, in the same Shorah Encyclopedia of Islam on page 390 also, it says that they have no data or no history of a Muhammad living in Mecca. So therefore, you have to have um, a Muhammad living in Mecca in order to have a Muhammad in real life. So um, that source, the Sword Encyclopedia said, no, uh, Muhammad has no biography, has no um, data of a Muhammad living in uh in uh, uh, America. Now, let me take you to another uh, place in history. In 19, I'm sorry, in 2016, in the Wall Street Journal, they had an article concerning the University of Munster, Germany. And uh, this article said that the University of Munster, Germany, had uh, built a Islamic center on its campus. The purpose of this Islamic center was to attract Muslims from around the world to come to Munster, Germany, to study Islam. And they hired a teacher by the name of Mohammed Saban Galish, who was to teach that uh, class, and who's going to take control of that uh, 
of that censor to teach Islam. Mohammed Saban Gators went to uh, they went to uh, the president of Monster uh, University and told them that he could not teach that class uh, at, in, in the center. The reason being is that further studies and investigation, he had found out that there was no Muhammad. Now, that was in the Wall Street Journal, you see. So um, that's, you know, well, right. well, hold up though, right there, Dan. We'll, we'll, Ben's been on for a second. Let's let's, let's hear, hear what he's got to ask you. Uh, Twenty-seven after the top there. Our Ben's calling from Long Beach out in California. He's on line two. Good morning, Ben. You're on with Dr. Williams. Yeah, Dr. Williams. First of all, I want to thank you personally for setting my soul free, because as I've listened to you over the years, you opened my eyes about the fact that all religions are man-made. But I have this question for you, and you would be the perfect person to uh, answer this question about um, Christianity and black people. Is Christianity or has Christianity been more detrimental to the progress of black people in this country, or has it been more beneficial? And uh, I'll take the uh, answer offline. I do appreciate you, Dr. Wiggins. Thank you very much. You can see on the line if you want. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, it's been very, 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 very detrimental uh, to our people, our African people, our black people in America, especially in America, and throughout the world. The reason why it's so detrimental is that you're bowing down to a dead white man on the cross that never walked the earth as a human being, and you're calling him your savior, your God. Okay, and you've taken your children into the church to do the same thing. You're bowing down to white supremacy. That dead white image on that cross is, represents white supremacy. White supremacy. So therefore, the answer is yes to you. So, so, but uh, Dr. Williams, we have all all these great Christian leaders and Muslim leaders. Well, we had well one or two. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Malcolm X, who made great strides in the civil rights movement and the human rights movement. So wasn't that like um, what what considered to be more beneficial than than detrimental of the Christian leadership in this country that uh, fought for civil rights and human rights? I would say no, because we we were right back at the same thing that I just explained to you that was detrimental to us Africans and living in the United States of America. Martin Luther King was a Christian. Uh, if, you, if you go to his church uh, in Georgia, above the pulpit is illuminated Jesus the Christ. His face is illuminated. So uh, he is he was no better than the average uh, Christian walking the street. He was no better than the average preacher preaching uh, this uh, falsehood, this lie. I call it a lie. And uh, so Martin Luther King was no better than the, the, than, than the other or uh, any other preacher. 
Eli and Malcolm X uh, did the same thing. Uh, they, they taught about, uh, like the Nation of Islam teaches you about a Jesus of Christ being a um, prophet and that uh, um, that uh, Muhammad was a prophet, that that David was a prophet, and et cetera, et cetera. So they're all in the same uh, bag together. I call it a bag. So they're all in the same bag together. So that would be my answer to you, my brother. Any other questions? Ben, I think you hung up. All right, thanks, Ben. Thanks for your call. 29 minutes away from the top of the hour. So just all religions, not just... Not, not, not just Christianity and Islam, but uh, Buddha, uh, all the other religions. I can't think of Benai Brith, uh, uh, or not Benai Brith. Um, those are all the, uh, I can't think of the religions right now. I'm drawing a blank. But all the religions you say are man-made, right? correct? Correct. And uh, uh, no matter whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, uh, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, etc. One has to realize that no human on earth was born with a religion. You didn't come here a, a Christian. Nothing that says Christian on your birth certificate. You came here as a free human being, uh, straight out of your mother's uh, body and womb, attached to her umbilical cord. has nothing to do with a religion. So let me jump in and ask you this. We're coming to a break real soon. So who who was the first person that created religion, decided this was going to be a religion? Who was who came up and said, this is the, let, let's do something religious, or even if the word religion? Who, who, who Do you know where it all started? Yes, I, I, I do. But in the, the word religion means to bind back, to bind back, to bind back, keep coming back to the same, same place, the same place. Actually, I'll hold that though right there, Dr. Williams, because we're going to take another quick break. I'll let you drill down on that when we get back, because it's interesting. Your thesis is that all religions are man-made, used to control people, and that's what you're saying. So we've got to figure out who started this, who was behind this, how did it all start? So I know you'll fill us in when we get back from this short break. Family, you want to join this conversation with our guest, Dr. Walter Williams, reach out to us at 800 450 7876, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 22 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, uh, historian Dr. Walt Williams. Start off uh, discussing the difference between Muslim and Muslim. If you want to join this discussion, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we go back to that, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to hear from uh, University of Houston's Dr. Gerald Horn. And later this week, attorney Dwight Pettit will join us, also educator Chakia Akua will be here, along with the master teacher Ashwa Kwesi and journalist Peter Bader. Peter will 
Cook, by the way, was one of the last prisoners to speak to Brother Malcolm X, who was assassinated 59 years ago this Thursday. So Peter Bailey will be on to talk about uh, Brother Malcolm. Also, if, for our L.A. peeps, Tony Brado's out in L.A. He's going to be at Christ Unity Center. That's, uh, you know, where that is. If you're in L.A. 78th and Western, he's going to uh, preview the global assignment, the life and times of Dr. Renoka Rashidi. That's the documentary on Dr. Renoka Rashidi. And you can buy that uh, documentary now or you can rent it. So uh, for those folks out in L.A., Tony's going to be at the uh, Christ Unity Center, 78th and Western, uh, tonight, and it's going to be at 6 o'clock. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's kept locked in right now on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9, and we're also on AM 1450 WOL. So, Dr. Williams, I'm going to let you drill down on how this all started. Who decided first, even the term religion, and who decided to, to, to create this? I don't know what, even what, how to describe it. So I'll let you do that. You're the you're the, the you're the professional. Go ahead. Okay. Now, uh, unfortunately, it started with our ancestors, the Melkite-Coptic Egyptians. Okay, uh, at the Council of Ephesus in 431. Okay, but there's a history uh, of uh, our ancestors, Melkite-Coptic Egyptians, who ran the government of ancient Egypt. There's a history uh, that's attached to that, uh, a prior history that's attached to that to bring you up to the point of, to answer your question, who was the first Christian on earth? And they, unfortunately, happened to be our Melchizedek Egyptian ancestors who tried to to, uh, appease the Greeks after Alexander the Greek died in three uh, 23 B.C. Uh, B.C. dates you count up. Today's date C.E. dates you count up. I'm, I'm sorry. B.C. dates you count down. And, and today's date, which is C.E. dates you count up. But anyway, after he died, uh, the Ptolemy uh, one took over uh, the rule of, of Egypt. And he wanted to be accepted into uh, our temple school system to be recognized right along with Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Uh, Osiris, uh, Osar, Isis, Oset, Horus, Haru, the sun, the S-U-N of Osiris and Isis. So uh, he was rejected. So the, the Melchizedek Egyptians found a... Uh, temple in Memphis, Egypt, that agreed to, to give him attributes of a god. And that attributes that they gave him was the attributes of Asar, or Osiris. And they gave him uh, the attributes of Aphos, the bull of Memphis. So they uh, made a composite of the both names, and they came out with old Serapis or old Serapis. And uh, once that was done, uh, they, uh, uh, the, the Greeks tried to get accepted into the temple system of ancient Egypt. And the temple system is the school system uh, of ancient Egypt, which they called temples. And he was rejected. So uh, 
We're going to fast forward to uh, 645 years later at the Council of Nicaea I in Nicaea, Turkey. Um, at that council meeting, they uh, began to uh, have a relationship by way of the rapist, which was nothing, no more than Ptolemy one, like he called Sotar. The word Sotar means, uh, which is S-O-T-E-R, means savior. Uh, they had a relationship with him, trying to get him accepted into uh, uh, our Coptic Egyptian society. So at, at Nicaea, they uh, they they eliminated um, Haru, the son, and, and made him, Serapis, the son, the S-O-N. They eliminated the S-U-N. This is very uh, complex, but I'm, I'm trying to answer your question the shortest way I can without taking up a whole lot of time, but I can't help it because this is the only way I can explain uh, to you and give you an answer to your question. So, Serapis uh, so became, became the S-O-N of Osiris. And, uh, and, they, and they said that uh, the son and the father are one and the same. Uh, God the father, God is Osiris. God the Son, the Son is Serapis. And God the Father, God the Son, the same. That's, humo- that's called the Humosius hum- Creed. Some call it the Nicene Creed. Some call it the Apostles' Creed. So that's how that was done. Now we're going to move more fast forward into uh, Ephesus. 431. I'm going to bypass the council, the second council meeting, the council of councils, the noble one, which took place in 381. I'm going to bypass that and go to the third council meeting, which is the council of Ephesus in 431. The council of Ephesus, the male Catholic Egyptian, presented to wrap us again and to and the monophysites, which was uh, hated by Eutychus, says that the rapist had an Osiris-like spirit, but no human nature. In order to be, uh, have a human nature, one has to be born through the body of a female. And that is when they brought in the created non-human creature called the Virgin Mary to give to wrap us a a mother and a human nature. Now, once this was done, once Mary, the created Christian non human, was created to give the rapists a human nature, they amalgamated the two together. And once that amalgamation was made, the male Catholic Egyptian said, Now this is the Eucharist. 
Now, this is the Eucharist. Now, this is the Eucharist toast. The Eucharist toast. And the the, the Eucharist toast um, was supposed to have given uh, Serapis in human nature. Now, mind you, I kept saying Eucharist toast. This is where the Eucharist was created also at Ephesus. The Eucharist is that communion that one takes. And in Protestant churches, the first Sunday of every month, uh, they, they eat your wafer and you drink your wine, which is supposed to be the blood of, of Jesus. The wafer is supposed to be the blood of Jesus. So they take communion service. In the Roman Catholic Church, it is done every day, and especially on Sundays. That Eucharistical uh, service takes place. Now, after that amalgamation was done, um, uh, the Melchite Coptic Egyptian says that the Virgin Mary was a Theotokos. The word Theotokos means that she was the mother of God. Nestorius came after that statement was made by uh, the, uh, by our ancestors. Said that no, he could not accept the Theotokos in Mary, but he could accept the Christotokos in Mary. She was the mother of Christ. You see, so now. That, uh, and then uh, that's where the Holy Ghost was made at the same council in 431 in, in, in Turkey. The Holy Ghost uh, was made of Osiris. Why? Because Osiris, the uh, Ravens uh, had become, he was a white son of, of, of Osiris. His white son had a white mother, Mary. So now you've got two white people and a, a African black uh, father for Serapis. So what they did with Osiris, they made him invisible and made him the Holy Ghost. You see? Now, I'm going to get to your, answer your, your point, your question. The question that you asked me, who became the world's first Christian? Our ancestors, I'm going to give you the answer. Our ancestors, the male Coptic Egyptians, were the world's first Christian on earth because they were they accepted the two nations of Serapis, now known as Christ. They accepted those two nations, uh, and they became Dalphacetic Christians. The word Dalphacetic means... They accepted the two natures of Christ. So that's the answer that I want to give to you. So I'm right. sorry I no, that's no problem because I know you're, you're instructed. That's what you do. But, but uh, I've got Charles wants a question for you. But I got a, a Diane sends a tweet and she wants to know if the early practitioners of religion were they wealthy like we have today? And she gave me the top 
eight richest passers of last year. Jesse Duplantis worth $20 million, Rick Warren $25 million, Creflo Dollar $27 million, Andy Stanley $45 million, Stephen Furtick $60 million, Pat Robertson $100 million, Joel Osteen $110 million, and Kenneth Copeland $300 million. So her question is, were they just as wealthy as uh, the passers we have here today? No, it's altogether different now. See, I gave you the foundation of how all this started by way of religious wise. And I answered and told you who was the first Christians on earth. See, that's where it started. Now, many, many years later, then here come these guys, Crypto Dollar and, and uh, uh, Joe Ornstein and so forth and so on. That's come, uh, that's the sound that comes later, and that's after the facts. You see, so uh, don't mix the two together. Yeah, well, I think her question was: Were, were they uh, were they w- the wealthy upper crust of the population back in the day when they were practicing their, whatever you call religion or whatever it was? Were they wealth? Were they making money off it? I guess that's what the implication is in her question. No, they were. They, they were. They ran the government of ancient Egypt. The Melkites did all of this. There was no wealth going around at that time. No wealth at all. Didn't have no concept of money. Okay? There was a, a, a barter and exchange uh, laws that went in place and was practiced back then. One of the, uh, the laws that was practiced, you know. And uh, the government uh, took care of the, the people of ancient Egypt. You know? And... Uh, so I would say no. Altogether different. All right. Uh, we we come up on a break real soon, and Charles in Baltimore has a question for you. But somebody sent this uh, quote: it's the "Philosophy of Voltaire." When Voltaire said, "If God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent Him," he was expressing the idea that belief in a higher power or deity is essential for society to function. He believed that religion and the concept of God provided a moral and social framework for people, and without it chaos and moral decay would ensue. Now, this quote reflects Voltaire's views on the role of religion in society and the human need for guiding moral authority. He advocated for separation of church and state back in the 18th century. They want to get your thoughts on that. But I tell you what, hold your response to that. And also, Charles, we will speak with Charles when we get back, because I'm looking at the clock. we got to take a short break here, six minutes away from the top of our family. Our guest is Dr. Walter Williams. He's a historian. you got questions about anything about religion? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and 8. AM 1450, WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family, and thanks for waking up with us this morning. It's a minute after the top of the hour with our guest historian, Dr. Walter Williams. Dr. Williams started off explaining the differences between a Muslim and a Muslim. And now we moved on to how religion all started. Um, and we've got Charles in Baltimore, Anthony in D.C. has got a question for you, Dr. Williams. But before that, that tweet that came into the studio about the philosophy of Voltaire uh, claims that if God didn't exist, it would be necessary to invent him. invent him. They want to get your thoughts about that. What was that question again? If God didn't, if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent Him. Well, you got to understand what God is. 
first place, no one has ever seen God. That's number one. God is a belief. Uh, all religions has a God. You know, so uh, I ask people what God and which God are you talking about? So you have to understand you've got 8 billion humans walking this earth as human beings of all races, creeds, and color around this planet Earth. Uh, they said God is a man. Um, the, when you go to church, the minister says that God created man in his own image. That means a male deity. Then you go and look up God in the dictionary, it says a male deity, a supreme being, a male deity again, okay? Uh, then people say, call God he, he is a him, referring to a male. So now, but no one has ever seen these gods. And again, God is man-made uh, for religious purposes. Now, well, let me ask God. you this then, Dr. Williams. Do you believe there is a God? No, not, the, not no uh, invisible God. I'm, I'm getting to what God is and who God is. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that right now. Eight billion humans on earth, of all races, creeds, and cults, has a personal God. And that God, that personal God, is your father that provides the sperm uh, to your mother's egg so you can be developed as a nine-month incubation in her body as a human being. Now, that is God. That's your personal God. My, my personal God uh, was my father. His name was Clifton Williams. Carl Nelson has a personal God, whatever your father's name is. That is God. That's my answer. All right. We've got some folks that I mentioned want to speak with you at four after the top of the hour. Charles is calling from Baltimore. He's on line two. Good morning, Charles. You're on with Dr. Williams. Yes. How you doing, Dr. Williams? Fine, sir. And you? Uh, I'm doing great. Now, I'll come to the realization that the scriptures are about a specific area of the world, a local area, not a global area, because there's no mention of the world outside of the Bible, which, which I mean parts of Europe, parts of Africa, and the Middle East. So I'm wondering why there's no mention of America, Japan, Hawaii, Australia, um, Alaska, or the Philippines, if God knows everything before, after, and during, why is there no mention of North or South America or any other place? It's like the flood. The flood had to be local to that area, to that bubble, because I can't see it being a world flood. Water doesn't stick to a ball. All right, let's give him a chance to respond. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for your question. Dr. Williams? Now, his question uh, was what uh, 
refresh me again. Again, basically, he was saying all all the things we read about in the Bible took place over where ancient Egypt was. How come it, it, there's no reference to North and South America, Australia, the other continents? Because it's, uh, the Bible is not a history book. When uh, uh, when uh, uh, what's his name, the actor uh, Morgan went looking for uh, in a documentary called In Search of God. Okay. Uh, he went to the illegal state of Israel and was invited by a female rabbi in her home to have dinner with her and her, and her family. And she told uh, Morgan Freeman, that's uh, the one I'm talking about. She told Morgan Freeman that the Bible is not a history book, but a book of ideas. So the Bible is not a history book. Uh, I gave uh, on your program the history and origin of the Bible some years back. I'd like to come on again uh, in the, sometime this year and give the history and origin of the Bible. So the Bible is not a history book, but a book of ideas. Uh, religion uh, designed to control the thinking and the actions of humans. That's what religions are designed for, to control your actions and your uh, thinking. No human on earth was born with a religion. You don't need a religion in your life to function. Religion is a virus that was introduced to you and to all of mankind by your parents who was introduced to the virus by your grandparents, which is their parents. And it goes back, back, back until the present day. Here you are being introduced to a religion that you know nothing about. So therefore, they teach you and take you down to the church and have you baptized as a Christian. And you don't know what's happening with you or how all this came about. Religion uh, has to be kept together by belief. That's the groove that keeps all religions together is one's belief in the religion. Okay. So therefore, um, religion has side effects to all religions. And the, side, the first side effect is confusion. Why are you, the human being, confused? You know nothing about your own self. You know nothing about your pineal gland. You know nothing about your human anatomy. You know nothing about your, your, your subconscious mind and your, your conscious mind and your uh, 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 invisible mind and so forth and so on. So you know nothing about yourself. So that's confusion. See? And the, the, the second thing about uh, the side effects 
is uh, uh, limits your thinking. You incarcerate your mentality, your mind. You incarcerate your mind. Now, when one is incarcerated in a jail, he's given given limited space to live in. See, so um, religion limits your thinking. Okay, and the third side effect is animation. Uh, when you hear on Easter, the minister in your church tell you how Jesus carried his cross on Mount Calvary. Now, your imagination kicks in to Jesus carrying a cross. The fourth side effect is fear. They say if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. See, so these things you really have to understand. Um, a minister, a uh, friend of mine, who's been had been preaching for over 50 years, John Thompson, out of uh, Ozark, Alabama. He told me one day that uh, he don't preach no more because he saw my videos on television, and it changed his whole life. But he told me uh, one day, he said that uh, if you know the truth, you don't have to believe. And I, I, I watched the Williams come along and say, if you know the facts, you don't have to believe. See, so uh, it's a hope that is put upon all of humanity to steal their humanity away from them. So that would be my answer to all. All right, we can just keep rolling. 12 after the top. Anthony's in the district. He's on line, line three. Good morning, Anthony. You're on with Dr. Williams. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anthony, they're on line three. All right, let's go to line two then, Kevin. Mark's in Baltimore. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning. How y'all doing? Um, you know, Carl, I, I happened to be yesterday. Uh, we we was in uh, in the, the the Black Family Day uh, that that me and you talked about with the Muslim brothers, Christian brothers, and 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 uh, the minister. He said something very very important. He said everything that's going on in our community. The killing and the self hate and all that kind of stuff. He said the main thing that we have to do is is have a spiritual um, resolution because he said God is love, and I believe that you had three hundred people 
yesterday. Actually, well, hold, hold on, Phil, right there, Mark, because we got to take a short okay. break. When we come back, I want you to direct the question to Dr. Williams. Family, you can okay. do the same. You can All do right. it by reaching out to us okay. at 800 450 13 after the top. I'll be back in four minutes, though, with your responses right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, our guest is Dr. Walter Williams. He's a historian. We started off discussing the difference between Muslim and Muslim here in a classroom this morning. And now Mark from Baltimore has called in with a question for Dr. Williams. Mark is online too. Mark, your question for Dr. Williams. Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Williams, the Muslims um, that, I've, that I've been around, matter of fact, yesterday it was 300 of Christian and Muslims in uh, family, uh, Black Family Day. And, and, and the Muslim brothers that spoke said God is love. And he said that that's how we deal with the self-hate in our community and the drugs and all that kind of stuff is a spiritual base. And if you have a father, if, you, if your father supposedly is your God, what about the millions of fathers that's not in the home? You know, how can, how can they be to your God? You know, so, you know, I don't understand that at all. Were you raised in a religious home? That's the question. Was you raised in a religion home? And, and how did you come to the point that your father was your God? Okay, I was not raised in a religious home, no. Okay, and I'm so thankful for that. Now, I explained to you about God and who God was and who God is. Now, the was, if your father had, uh, provides a sperm uh, for the egg of your mother, is dead, he was. And if he's still alive, he is. So that's who God is. No one has ever seen the God of his religion and your belief. See, belief, like I mentioned before, is the glue that keeps all religions together. And like I mentioned about brother, my, 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 my ex-minister friend who lives in Ozark, Arkansas, brother John Thompson said, if you know the truth, you don't have to believe. And then I come behind him and say, if you know the facts, you don't have to believe. So therefore, is uh, someone explaining to you about God, and I set out to do just that. So now, uh, that would be my uh, explanation to you about God, because God is something that is used to control your thinking without any facts, without any truth behind it. It's belief. You right. see? So belief is the glue that keeps all religions together, and no human was born with a religion. So that would be my answer. I believe, I believe God is love. Thank you. All right, thanks, Mark. Here's a question for you, a tweet question for you, Dr. Williams. The tweeter says, if someone's father is a racist, a murderer, a drug dealer, or a rapist, and you say he, he is their God, does this mean they should imitate the behavior of that God? That's up to them. I mean, they can't control what their father do to make a living or his habits. They can't control him. That's his thought. That's what he wants to do. Now, if you want to follow behind him, and, and, and do like he was uh, is doing, then that's, that's up to you. But if you uh, decide 
uh, not to do that and follow your own thoughts and which is uh, your own mind, uh, then that's what you do. So uh, that would be my answer to you. All right. 23 after the top there. Is Anthony back with us on line three? There. Go ahead, Anthony. Hello? Good morning. Yes. Good morning, um, Carl, and good morning, Dr. Williams. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Dr. Williams, my question is this. Um, you kept talking about the Council of Ephesus, Nicaea. Is there one book I could get that has these councils so when I argue with people or debate with people, I can show them in a book about these councils and the ramification of these councils in creating religion? Yes, you can buy both of my books, The Historical Origin of Christianity and The Historical yes. Origin of Islam. Uh, each book has got the council meetings in there, and uh, uh, and uh, and uh, you can find out uh, from these two books that will give you the information to the, uh, to your question. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And have a good day and stay safe. All right, you thank too. you, Anthony. Uh, Doctor Williams, the the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. I understood that. I understand that they were one of the first churches, are they, and that they're still around. Is that true? Uh, no, the Ethiopian Church. You know, I gave a lecture on how Ethiopians became Christians and philosophers Jews on your program some months back. No, they're not the first church. The first church is the Hagia Sophia that was built in. Uh, uh, Constantinople, Turkey. Today, Constantinople, Turkey is called Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, it was commissioned by Justinian and his wife, Theodora, uh, uh, commissioned uh, African ancient Egyptian architects and African ancient Egyptian designers to design and build that church that was known as the Church of Hagia Sophia. In 532, they began building that church. And, um, and, and five years later, on December the 27th, 537, they finished it. See? And then uh, I told how that church uh, was moved 91 years later into uh, Israel uh, after the, uh, the Ottoman Turks invaded the double walled city of Constantinople. That was a threat to the Byzantine rulers at that time, uh, the Ottoman Turks coming through the double walled city of Constantinople seizing the city and seizing the church, which they did in 1453. They did that. So, uh, well, 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 you know, well, well, explain to us that the, the Rastafarians, uh, that's another religion, and they believe that Hail Selassie is their god and that he was a direct descendant from Solomon. Is there any truth to that? Can you connect the dots for those uh, brothers and sisters who follow that faith? Okay, well, see, that goes back again, into Ethiopia. That was a story told to the Ethiopians by the British, the Europeans, who had control of Ethiopia at that time. And uh, uh, when they appointed a native of, of Ethiopia as being the first emperor of Ethiopia, uh, they uh, ask Theodore too, can we bring Christians into Ethiopia? And that was Samuel Goldback who asked him that question, who had headed a missionary uh, uh, 
entourage into Ethiopia in in, in uh, uh, eighteen twenty nine. Uh, so now they thought there was time to ask a bit or two when the British, like I said, made the first uh, 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 emperor of Ethiopia. And uh, he said, oh, yes, as long as you don't bring preachers in here. And then he wrote a letter to the queen of England after he got to be an emperor of uh, Ethiopia. And in that letter, uh, he, he, he handed to one of his people in his administration, and that person was, 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 was to hand carry that note in, back to the Queen of England. And in that note, uh, which she did not answer him, she ignored him. So he broke out into a rage and said that all, all white people are no good. And that no, she asked him, her to stop taking slaves out of Ethiopia and out of Africa and taking them into the Caribbean and making slaves out of them. See? So uh, by him saying that he hated all white people, the British murdered him in 1867. Okay? I'm getting up to answer your question. In 1867, he got murdered by the British government for making those statements and having that type of attitude and saying that he hated all white people, et cetera, et cetera. Now, his successor was John IV, 1872 uh, to 1889. And when he died, his successor was Milonek from 1889 to 1913. And his successor, after he died, was Lao uh, Joshua. Uh, 1813 to 1816. And when he died, J- Judith took over, a female, the daughter of Milnick. She took over uh, uh, being the, being the uh, emperor of Ethiopia and until nineteen until nineteen uh thirty when when uh, uh when uh Rasha Makonan became the emperor of Ethiopia. Rasha Makonan is AKA also known as uh Haley Selassie. And that's where the Rastafarians come in. That's where they get their name, the Rasta. So no, uh, Rasta McClellan was a Christian. He was a Christian. Okay? So the story of this uh, uh, the, the Queen of Sheba, the story that was told to the Ethiopians by the British government to make them believe that 
that was a Solomon, and that uh, Solomon was a wise man, and that uh, uh, the Queen of Sheba wanted to meet him, and so she uh, had donkeys full laden with gifts to give to this wise man of Judaism, uh, Solomon. So once in Jerusalem, meeting Solomon, she Solomon laid eyes on her, and she was so beautiful, he had to have sex with her. And that uh, by him having sex with her, he impregnated her, and she went from uh, Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And, uh, and, and that's where they uh, began that church over there. That's the story to begin that church. Now, um, the British found out that the Zagwe family had built uh, out of carved, soft, brownish rock nine burial chambers in the ground where they buried their ancestors, their dead, in their family, the Zagwe family. The British found that out, went down in, and uh, they had nine connecting chambers down there where the, the bodies of the Zagwe family's ancestors were living. I mean, I'm sorry, it was buried down there. And uh, so they took all those bodies out of that, uh, uh, the burial places down there, and they made them into churches, St. Martin, St. Mark, St. Anthony, and so forth and so on. And they turned it into a church. So today, as you go into Ethiopia, they are still there. So that's uh, some of the that's the, that's some of the history to that. Right. Uh, and, and I thank you for that because I've been there and seen, seen those churches in the ground. But we got to take a short break. Roger's got a question for his calling from California. Also, when we come back to, I want you to explain uh, the Philosopher Jews. Where did they come from? Are they the original Jews? Because keep hearing about who's the, who's not Jewish and who's the Jew and who's the original Jew, but the philosophy Jews that came out of Ethiopia. I'll let you explain that first as well. 26 minutes away from the top of the hour family. Our guest is Dr. Walter Williams. He's a historian. If you'd like to speak to him, reach out to us at 800-450-7876, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, the historian, Dr. Walter Williams. He's in our classroom this morning. Any question about religion, this is the man you need to speak to. The number is really easy. It's 800-450-7876. Before we go back to the let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to hear from Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. And later this week, attorney Dwight Pettit will be here along with educator Cheku Akua, also the master teacher himself, Brother Ashwa Kweshi, will join us, and journalist Peter Bailey. Peter was one of the last persons to speak to Brother Malcolm. Malcolm was assassinated 59 years ago this Thursday, so Peter's going to tell his story, his relationship with Malcolm X. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. As I mentioned, Dr. Williams, Roger in California has a question for you or a comment. He's online, too. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Carl. Uh, good morning, Dr. Williams. 
A call. First, I would like to apologize. I don't know what happened, but we got cut off. So this Friday, I will continue my breakdown of Marilyn Mosby and Fonnie Williams. Uh, Dr. Williams, uh, let me get this quote right. Did you say belief is what unites all religions? Belief is the glue that keeps all religions together. If you don't believe in the religion, the religion is dead. Okay, I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure I got that correct because I submit to you, sir, that belief is what keep all historians together because you're talking about a lot of events that you have no direct knowledge of. You're only believing in it because you read it in a book. You're talking about things that happened in 1500s, the 1400s. You were not there, sir. Someone put it in a book and you believed it and that's why you're disseminating it. Carl, if you remember on your show out here in L.A., uh, someone would always come on your show and they would say, don't go to the library because that's where all the lies are buried in the library. So, Dr. Williams, do you agree with belief is what unites all historians? And uh, my final question to you, sir, if I told you that I was God, how would you discount or dismiss that assertion that I am God. And I take your response out there. Thank you, Carl. Hi, right, Dr. Williams. And what did he say? <laughs> he says, how could you disprove? Basically, how could you disprove? If he says he's God, how could you disprove it? That was the last question. Okay. Uh, if he's God, then start doing some godly things, some miracles and walking on water and all that kind of stuff. If you're God, uh, I told him, and I told the listening audience, who God is. God is a man, and man uh, is uh, every human on earth, which is uh, 8 billion humans on earth, have a personal God, and that's your father, who created you by releasing his sperm, uh, and your mother, uh, egg, received it, and thus incubated you for nine months. That's the God, your personal God. Now, this invisible God was seen. But now, if you believe in this invisible God, fine. I mean, that's up to you. Now, I uh, told you uh, who God is by the way of God being a man. Now, they don't say God. They say God. That means a male gender. So, therefore... No one has ever seen God. Belief is what you are believing in. So now if you believe that that was a God, fine. I'm not debating that. I'm not going to stop you from believing it. I can't stop you from believing it. So now that would be my answer to him. Okay. We've got some more people want to talk to you. 16 away from the top. I also want you to explain the philosophy juice for us. But let's go to Baltimore uh, one more time. Brother Haki is on line three. Brother Haki, good morning. You're on with Dr. Williams. Yes, sir. Good morning, Dr. Williams. Good to hear you. Um, uh, Brother Carl, thank you. Um, I, I recently saw, like, a few days ago, I went to the, uh, in Baltimore, there's the Walters Art Museum. They have an Ethiopian exhibit. So, uh, you know, I anticipate, you know, going to Ethiopia this year. And one of the exhibits was the um, the, the, the cross, the Egypt, the uh, Ethiopian cross. 
I don't know if you mentioned about that, but can you just add the history, just however you can, to what that context and as well as the context to uh, the original cross? And right, and you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Brother Haki, because you know, I, I I saw the Marley movie uh, this weekend, and there was uh, a white friend of mine was telling me that he loved it, and he kept talking about Rita Marley wearing the Star of David, and mm, but right. that that comes from the Ethiopian flag. But let's let let uh, let's see if Dr. Walter Williams can give us some background on that, Dr. Williams. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brother Haki. Thank you. Thank you. away from the topic of Dr. Williams, I want to ask you about the Falasha Jews, because, uh, you know, in, you see them in Ethiopia, and they say they're the original Jews. Are they the original Jews, or, or they call them some better Israel, uh, I think they were also called, known as? Well, there's no such thing as a, uh, the original Jews, because the Jew is in the Bible. Okay? What's in the Bible never existed. So, the Bible is not a history book, but a book of ideas that was told to Morgan Freeman by a female rabbi in the legal state of Israel. He went in the documentary search of God. So uh, we're going to get to uh, the philosophy of Jews. 
Um, so in 1868, uh, the AIU was formed. I'm sorry, 1860, the AIU was formed in 1860 in Paris, France, Alliance Israelite Universal Paris, France. They decided to go into Ethiopia and, and approach uh, uh, the Ethiopians to become Jews. Okay? So they uh, approached uh, the Gale family, the Gale tribe or the family of Ethiopia. That's who they approached. So the same year that they were formed, 1860, they sent Henry Aaron Stern into Ethiopia. And he was assisted by Martin Plaid, PLAD, who had been introduced to the customs and the language of his teacher, uh, Dr. L. C. Crabb. They were linguists. So when uh, Henry Aaron Stern, coming from the AIU, went approached the Gaylor family to become Jews, they had a physical fight. They didn't want to be associated with, 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 with that form of ideology or actually they didn't want to be bothered with white people. So they fought them to no avail. And uh, uh, after they fought Martin Platt and Henry Aaron Stern, Ditto uh, Two came and arrested them and detained them. And that's when the British assassinated Two, like I mentioned uh, in this program this morning, a little, little time, a little while back. And uh, so after Henry Armstrong came there, then, then the, the AIU sent another agent in there, Joseph Halevi. He came in in 1872. And he uh, stayed for uh, a year, uh, and then after he after he came out of there, then here come uh, Jacques Spacevich. He came in and took over uh, the Philosophy Jews, and they are called Beta Israel. That means when you see, hear the word Beta, that, that they're talking about Philosophy. So that's how that came about, Carl. So uh, now, are they uh, legal citizens of the state of Israel now? The, uh, do they claim uh, the, the state of Israel as part of, part of their lineage as well? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, that's that's the whole thing. That's the that's the that's the thing that the, that that the Jews want the world populace to believe. You see, um, they want they go anywhere to try to make somebody wherever they go a Jew. You see, um, you, you know they went down to South Africa and made. Uh, so South African uh, Jews. Uh, uh, let me see the name of those South Africans. Uh, I forget. I can't call recall that name. But anyway, they made the South Africans down there Jews. Also, they went into China to try to make Jews. They went into India and try to make Jews. So they went all over to try to authenticate Judaism. Judaism is only a man-made religion. And listen to this, Charles, uh, Carl, is this. The written literature called the Torah and the Talmud was created in 1920. That was the first uh, Torah and Talmud created. And then two years later, in 1922, uh, they uh, added to that uh, Torah and, and, and Talmud. So, as I speak, uh, Judaism, I mean, uh, the religious literature. Well, hold that thought right there, Dr. William. I'm looking at the clock here. We've got to take a short break here, six minutes away from the top there. I'll let you finish your thought when we get back. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. A minute after the top of the hour, momentarily we'll be speaking with uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. Well, let's wrap up with uh, Dr. Walter Williams. So, Dr. Williams, I'll let you finish your thought. Well, what was that thought? I, I forgot what you uh, what we ended on. Yeah, I, I did too. But that's, since we're just out of time, i got to ask you this. Are you still, is it still, because for all the years I've known you, you said you'd give, um, I can't remember how much money, but if, if anybody could prove that a, a man named Jesus the Christ, Muhammad the Prophet, ever walked on the face of this earth, you would you would give him the money. How much money? How long has that money been there? Has anybody ever challenged you on it? No, I haven't been challenged on it, uh, because they can't prove it. Uh, you know, you got to prove, not believe it. Prove, give me facts. Okay? That's, uh, facts are, you know the facts, you don't have to believe. If you know the truth, you don't have to believe. See, so the facts is what I want. I'll give you $10,000. I can give you $50,000. You still can't prove it. Now, before we go off the air, uh, is it okay? I'm going to give my, my contact number, how you can contact me. Uh, right. Go ahead. 
personally. Call me at area code 773-947-8662. 773-947-8662. And you can contact me direct and we can have a conversation and we can go over whatever you want to go over. And this individual that me being a historian, if you talk about any subject, you have to know the historical date of it. A lawyer can't go into court with, uh, uh, and the judge going to say, well, okay, uh, what's your case? And where's your, uh, what case are you talking about? Give me some information on, on, on this case. How are you going to, how you going to litigate this case? And what, uh, and how, and what information are you going to use to litigate this case? And it's all been any lawyer goes into court has, he can litigate a case by way of uh, documented dates, time, people, and events. He can't go in there with what he thinks. He can run out of court. So that, therefore, as a historian, and I'm very proud of myself at the age of 92 years old, and in uh, uh, seven months or six months from now, I'll be 93. And I still got my faculties. I'm still sharp up here. Okay? I pat myself on the back for that. All these things that you hear me talk about on this show, or uh, heard me talk about on this show, comes from my memory. Not no notes. This is memory, my mind. So, you know, so that's what I have to say about you have to have dates, time, people, places, and events. Real time, real places, real people, and real events. And you got to have dates to those. You know, to uh, uh, convey to the listening public that you know what you, you're talking about. I can hold, I can sit up in a barbershop with you, you know, and say, well, he said, and she said, and they said, and all that. That don't mean nothing. See? So that's what I have to say to that call. All right. And so if anybody can prove, and they got to use facts, historical facts, that a man named Jesus the Christ or Muhammad the prophet actually walked on the face of this earth or their descendants are here, they win that money, that 10 grand. Correct. They can get you 10 grand. No problem. No questions asked. But don't use your belief and your emotions to make your belief uh, right. You can't do that. I'm on fact. Stronger than art, more profound than reasoning, more, more dependable than opinions, silence this dispute, supersedes predictions and facts always ends the argument. So look for the facts in any subject that you talk about. Yes, sir. That's what we do. We stick, stick to the facts. As we do as a journalist, you stick to the facts. I thank you, Dr. Walter Williams. Thank you for sharing your information with us this morning. And thank you, Carl, for having me on as your guest. All right. Folks, let's switch over now. Six after the top there. Dr. Gerald Horn is with us. Good morning, Dr. Horn. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course. We had to invite you. Let me just tell the family that Dr. Horn is also an attorney. And I would ask you about if you can analyze uh, Fannie Willis's chances of, of uh, still receiving the Trump RICO uh, trial. Do you think they're going to take it away from her? And if you could assess what she, she her, you know, her performance on the stand from a legal point of view. 
Well, it's hard to say if the judge will disqualify Attorney Willis. If I were the judge, I would not disqualify her. But there's so many politics involved right now, it's hard to say. As I understand it, she was not compelled to take the stand, but she was so upset with what was being said in that courtroom about her that she rushed to the witness stand. And, of course, she was very combative on the witness stand. The issue is whether or not the prosecutor that she hired, speaking of Nathan Wade, whether or not they had a romantic interest before she hired him. She said that that's not true, and therefore that she may have benefited from the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars that her office paid to him. And, of course, as we know, they went on a number of trips together. Uh, She claims, and apparently there is reason to believe, that the expenses were shared between them, and she did not benefit from his largesse. But in any case, it's sort of a mess right now. Do you think all of that, that that personal stuff, just just, uh, sort of— overshadowed the, the the real facts of the case she, you know because she she went on and when they asked her question she kept going on and on and on as an attorney you know they ask you a question just answer the question but she felt like she had something to prove did that assess her performance on the stand if you will well i don't think i think she should have been, she should have waited to have been compelled to take the witness stand i don't think that a prosecutor should which is what she is should put herself in that sort of position. It's, it was a no-win position. And, of course, she was understandably upset that her personal and private life was being debated in the courtroom. And that triggered something in her, understandably. But, again, I don't think that she was compelled to take the witness stand, and she probably made a mistake by voluntarily taking the witness stand. Well, wasn't that a tactic of attorneys, though, to get you to be emotional on the stand, hoping that you'll say something that uh, you didn't want to say or they could attack you? And, and you know, I noticed, notice, though, they mentioned a hostile witness and that kind of stuff. Do you think, I'm trying to assess if it really helped her case when she was on the stand. How do you see it as a lawyer? Well, I think that the attorneys on the other side were trying to muddy the waters. They were trying to switch the focus of the courtroom away from the misdeeds of their clients towards the alleged and purported misdeeds of Attorney Willis. Uh, Once again, I don't think that she did her case any favors by taking the stand. Now, that's from the point of view of commentators who are not necessarily pro-Trump, for example. Uh, Recall that the case is uh, the sprawling criminal case concerning whether Mr. Trump was trying to subvert the results of the 2020 presidential election in the state of Georgia. Recall the tape phone call where he is basically saying he's searching for 11,000-plus votes, and already there have been defendants who have pled guilty uh, with regard to these charges. Uh, Mr. Trump, of course, is up to his neck in legal problems, and he would like to divert attention away from that 
towards the private life of Attorney Willis. And I'm going to ask you this, uh, Dr. Horn. How much of that was they trying to poison a potential jury pool? All of this stuff about family or personal stuff, was that, do you think that was part of the plan? Well, clearly. They're, they're, the defense was trying to muddy the waters. They don't have the law on their side. They don't have the facts on their side. So they're basically pounding the table and shouting in the courtroom about the purported misdeeds of Attorney Willis, forcing her to bring her father to the stand, believe it or not, to defend his daughter. It was quite a diversion and quite a spectacle. And, of course, it diverted attention away from the crimes or alleged crimes of the defendants. And certainly it probably affected the potential jury pool. So that, what, what, can, what choices does the judge have? He can remove her, replace her, or the, the, Trump's people are asking them to throw out the, the charges. How do you see, what do you think he's going to rule on when he's got the, these options? Well, the judge would be advised to keep her on the case. However, if he dismisses her from the case, well, that'll throw a monkey wrench into the whole proceedings because presumably there would have to be a new prosecutor and a new prosecutorial team that is hired. And by the time that takes place, the Mr. Trump might be in the White House, for example. And there will be enormous pressure to postpone, if not drop the charges, uh, because he has the burdens of administering the state before him. And that might be the end result. All right, 12 after the top there. Let me ask you this question then. If she's removed and they assign a new prosecutorial team to see the case, can can that new team decide, well, hey, there's nothing here. It's a nothing burger. We'll pass. Can they just outright or just just put it on the delay process? Is that a possibility? Or do they have to stick to the timeline that she had already initiated? It's going to be very difficult for a new team to stick to the timeline because they have to study these hundreds if not thousands of pages of past filings and pleadings, they could justifiably say that they are not going to proceed in the way that Attorney Willis had outlined, and there will be enormous pressure upon them to do so. However, Mr. Trump is not out of the woods, if that's what your audience is concerned about. He has a criminal case coming up in Manhattan. He has the cases in Washington and South Florida, Washington concerning January 6th, South Florida concerning misuse and abuse of national security documents. The hush money case, of course, is coming out of Manhattan. He just got fined about a half billion dollars in the New York State case. Uh, That is the most wounding case of all from this point of view, since it takes money out of his pocket. So whatever happens with Attorney Willis, uh, Mr. Trump is not out of the woods by any means. All right. Hold that thought right there, Dr. Horn. I already got some people want to talk to you. Got questions? Family, our guest is Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. We've got to take a short break here at 14 after the top. I'll be back in four minutes with your questions. 800-450-7876. We'll get you in to speak to Dr. Horn right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And if you're in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450, WOL or information is power. 
And good morning, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, the Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. You got a question for him? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We're also going to talk about the uh, situation in Africa, in Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso, also in Namibia as well. Also, what's going on in Gaza and South Africa. Also, we're going to talk about the Ava DuVernay movie, which uh, Ms. Hughes, our, our boss, recommended we all see this movie, The Origin as well. But right now, we're talking about uh, Fannie Wills. What her, uh, uh, I guess her testimony on the stand recently was, I think it was Thursday, Alan in Baltimore has a question for you, Dr. Horn. He's on line two. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Dr. Horn. Uh, Dr. Horn, you remember uh, Ida B. Wales. She was a woman, but she would stand up to the white men and say, stop lynching these brothers. Fonda Willis is, uh, uh, like Clarence Tomikos and Anita Hill, is going to be a media lynching in February. It's two for one, a black man and a black woman. And Atlanta is uh, is a purple state, and they want to turn Atlanta uh, red. And that's how they do it because uh, down south, I call it's the Bible Belt. The woman staying that stay in her place, and they did the same thing with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill with sex. So it's a media lynching during Black History Month. Look, and she probably gonna have to run up north. I got to be Wales and run to New York and hope Letitia James save her. And they got the Letitia Jane, Marilyn Mosby, Kim Gardner. See, I'm from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. They finna have a meal lynching with that uh, state of, of uh, uh, Georgia, and they want to turn it red. All right. And they, they probably ask both of them. Okay, they probably ask both of them, all y'all Democrats. All right, let's Thank give them a chance to respond, you. Alan. We're a lot there. I appreciate you. All righty. Uh, Dr. Horn, uh, is this part of a pattern? That's what Alan is saying. Uh, they're going after sisters who are in the legal profession? Well, I think Alan makes a fair point when he raises the case of Kim Gardner, the prosecutor in St. Louis, who was driven from office, or Marilyn Mosby of Baltimore, who, as you know, has been standing trial because of various charges. And it's understandable why Allen would see a pattern when you look at the case of Fonnie Willis. Now, with regard to Clarence Thomas, I would not necessarily put him in that exalted category because he has been on the bench for decades now. And in any case, uh, the charges with regard to sexual harassment against him were rather credible. But having said that, uh, it, there is something to what Allen says because going into the private life of the prosecutor – Speaking of Fonnie Willis, is quite extraordinary, and obviously it has diverted attention away from the uh, misdeeds of the defendants. Yeah, I thought when she said that uh, her, her friend had cancer, I, 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 I just thought that was inappropriate. I mean, that's you know that's kind of personal stuff. We, we don't know if he's told anybody that. Now the whole world knows he's got cancer. Uh, how did you assess that? Do you think it was just she was just it was just, you know, she was just talking out the top of her head. She was so emotional that that slipped out. Well, as I said, uh, as I understand it, uh, there was a debate as to whether or not she should take the stand. But she was so incensed by what was being said that she rushed to the courtroom and took the stand. Uh, there were some things said during the course of her examination that probably not should not have been said including the health status of the prosecutor, Nathan Wade. All right. Uh, for 24 after the top there, let's go out to L.A. Howard's online one. He's got a question for you. Good morning, Howard. You're on with Dr. Horn. 
uh, thing that came to my call, I'd like to uh, maybe divert a little bit. I remember I called a few weeks ago. I think the brother from New York was with Malcolm X when he died. Uh, asking questions about uh, about uh, World Court and things of that nature, like Bush, Cheney, and Kissinger, could they be called before the World Court for uh, war crimes, you know, what they were doing in Iraq and things, and Kissinger, I think, with the Vietnam thing. And I remember uh, Pinochet was arrested in Spain by the Chilean government. We then uh, uh, in Spain from London, and they arrested him for war crimes and things uh, of, of what they did. Over, he overthrew the government. So it, was it possible for them to get uh, arrested for war crimes? But they, they, they uh, I forgot the African leaders, but two or three African leaders had to go before the Hague for uh, some kind of war crimes in their country. So. What was, what was the possibility of Bush and Cheney if they stepped out the United States would they be arrested? All right. Thanks, Howard. Dr. Horn? Well, he's raising a number of uh, diverse issues. With regard to the Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, there was a case in a domestic court in Spain against him for abusing and torturing Spanish citizens in Mr. Pinochet's Chile. Mr. Pinochet was in London at the time. There was an attempt to send him to Spain. He said that he was in bad health, and therefore that case did not hold up. It's questionable if he was in bad health. Then there's the question of the International Criminal Court as opposed to the World Court. The World Court, which is also in The Hague, like the ICC, deals with disputes between states. That's why South Africa brought a case in the International Court of Justice or the World Court against the state of Israel. With regard to the International Criminal Court, it's possible that Bush and Cheney could be brought before that body, but it's highly unlikely, highly unlikely. More likely is the possibility that a domestic court, for example, a court in Iran, would seek to have Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney extradited to Iran from some other third country. But that, too, is unlikely. Yeah, I think uh, what what Howard's saying, can they snatch him? So say they go to London, for for example, if they kidnap them and and take them to the world court. Is that a possible scenario right there or or is it improbable or, or even not practical? It's possible, but highly unlikely. I mean, talking about kidnapping a former U.S. president would probably interpret it in Washington as an act of war. And as you know, Washington does not need to be motivated to declare war, as we see unfolding right now in Iran, as we see what has unfolded in Libya, Afghanistan, Iraq, and other sites too numerous to mention. So it's highly unlikely that a U.S. former president could be kidnapped and brought to Iran. But if, is it possible? Yeah. All right. 800-450-7876. after the top there. Sandra's in Baltimore. Has a question for you. She's on line three. Good morning, Sandra. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, Carl. Good morning to your guest, Dr. Horn. Uh, Dr. Horn, I differ with you on a little bit. I don't think that she was combative. I think she handled herself and represented herself very well to the most pace-to-face white men. And I love when she told that white lawyer, don't holler at me, sir. She stood up for herself. She did not wag her tail. She came out with her gloves on. And I'm glad she put it out that the lawyer 
has cancer because if she keep it a secret and they find out about it, they're going to burst to the scene. So I applaud her, and I'm not going to say she was a strong black woman. I'm going to say she was an excellent black woman because time and time and time, too many black women get the positions, and they sit back and they say nothing. They wag their tails and they take it. And I think that Georgia people there, black people should be with her all the way. She have a right to defend herself if she found out that she was being just mistreated. Did nobody say nothing when Stormy Daniels said anything? Did nobody say nothing when the white woman sued him for eighty point three five million? And then and when when Arthur Rosa came out there, they shut her down with a book. So yes, she had a right to defend herself. And I love her, and I respect her, man. I said, keep on doing it, because what else can they do to her? All right. Thank you, Sandra. Let me throw the question, because only the question. Uh, uh, Dr. Holm, what would have happened if she had not taken the stand? Would you think that would have affected the, the case any, any at all? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, my understanding is that it was not obligatory. She was not obligated or compelled to take the stand. It could have been tied up in appeals to this very day. I assume that she wanted to cut through the red tape and cut to the chase. Uh, to say that she was combative is not to insult her. Perhaps she had a reason and a basis to be combative. After all, how many, how often does it happen when a prosecutor is brought on the witness stand to testify about her private life or his private life, for that matter? So, combative is not meant as an insult. It's meant as a descriptor. All right. 30 minutes out of the top of the hour with Dr. Gerald Horn. Uh, Jay's calling us from Detroit. He's on line one. Has a couple of questions for you. Jay, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Yes, good morning. Uh, just had two questions for Dr. Horn. The first one would be related as him being an attorney to Julian Assange's appeal not to be extradited to the U.S. Could you kind of expound on that? and the importance of that with journalism and, and true journalism. And the other question would be, and I'm sure you might get into it, uh, the mysterious death of Nivaldi and the hypocritical approach of the criminal enterprise known as the U.S. with uh, consternation categorizing people as this devil and we can go back to the Dominican Republic, Iraq, <laughs> Iran, <laughs> to Congo. Just go on with you know similar things that's been initiated by the U.S. So could he give a little, especially the Julian Assange case? Could he uh, go an overview of that and how important that is because it's under the radar and none of the so-called mass mainstream media even talks about it or reports it. So those are my two questions. All right. Thanks, Jay. Mm -hmm. Dr. Horn. So, Alexei Navalny 
is the so-called Russian dissident who has died recently. What I find intriguing about this case is that if you dig a little deeply into Mr. Navalny's background, you'll see that in the past, he has made rather offensive comments about his fellow Muslim citizens of Russia. But somehow that's not been placed front and center with regard to his death, because, of course, the United States has a bone to pick with Vladimir Putin in Moscow, the support of the Ukrainian government and its conflict with Russia is not going very well right now. So therefore, they're using the death of Mr. Navalny to further score points against Vladimir Putin. Now, with regard to Julian Assange... Oh, before you go to Julian Assange, though, we got to take a short break. and we come back, though, uh, you, uh, another question, Navalny, surprised that Donald Trump hasn't said anything yet? I'll let you respond to that, and when we talk about Julian Assange. Family, you got questions for Dr. Gerald Horn, one of the smartest brothers we got on this planet? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 22 minutes away from the top there with our guest, Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. You got a question for Dr. Horn? We're going to touch on a lot of subjects with Dr. Horn. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Mark from Anaheim has checked in with a couple of questions for Dr. Horn. We'll get to them as well. Before we do that, though, let me just remind you, coming up uh, later this week, you're going to hear from attorney Dwight Pettit. He's going to talk about some of these legal issues that Donald Trump is facing. Also, the master teacher himself, Brother Ashra Kwesi, will be with us. And journalist Peter Bailey will also join us. Peter was one of the last persons to speak to Brother Malcolm. You know, this Thursday will be 59 years since Malcolm was assassinated at the Audubon Ballroom. So we're going to take that journey again with Peter Bailey. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, uh, Dr. Horn, the, the, the question's from Jay from Detroit about Assange and Navalny. Navalny, we're still waiting on Donald Trump to say something about Navalny before you go into Assange. Well, here's the issue with Navalny and the issue with Russia. The folks who rule this country, there's a basic split as to the path towards global domination. Mr. Trump feels that he should cut a deal with Putin and focus like a laser beam on China. His opponents apparently feel that you can confront Russia and China simultaneously. And Mr. Navalny's death, therefore, is being used as a club to help to discredit that point of view of Mr. Trump. My, my, my own opinion is, is that taking on Russia and China simultaneously is more than a notion, but uh, that, I see, is the essence of the question. And Assange? Well, Julian Assange is an Australian national, was involved in WikiLeaks, which got documents from various uh, U.S. soldiers that were discrediting, discrediting to the United States, thousands of pages of documents put on the Internet. Uh, he was in self-imposed uh, exile in, in an embassy in London for a number of years. Now there is a case in the UK where they want to extradite him to the United States to stand trial. 
his Australian comrades and legislators in Australia do not want to see him extradited. I think it would be a mistake to extradite him because, after all, those documents would not have seen the light of day but for the cooperation of the New York Times and the Guardian of the U.K. And so then the question becomes, why aren't you calling for the extradition or the criminal punishment of the editors and journalists and publishers of those particular newspapers? And so it seems to me Mr. Assange is a scapegoat. Uh, who should be able to escape a criminal penalty. Yeah, and the latest report out of London this morning is that his, 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 his uh, fight to avoid spying charges may end pretty soon. So they, they, may start, they may start extraditing real soon. So we've got to keep an eye on that. Thanks, uh, Jay, for bringing that up. 800-450-7876-19 away from the top there. Jay Marie's in Tennessee on line one. Jay Marie, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Horn. Good morning, Mr. Nelson. I just wanted to uh, clear up the part about the cancer. Uh, he was on the stand before her, uh, Attorney Wade, and he revealed himself that he had cancer, and I guess it was a vulnerable time for him or whatever it may have been the, uh, his angle or where he was trying to take that. And so she pretty much just came behind him and said the same thing. And also with her rushing into the courtroom, I think that became a big deal when um, – the counsel was saying, how did you know you were up next? How did you know you were up next? Uh, you know, why didn't you wait for us to call for you to, you know, I guess to escort you into the courtroom? And she said she was pacing in her uh, wherever she was and the office of wherever she was. So just wanted to clear those two things up. All right. Thank you, Jay Marie. Uh, any response, Dr. Horn? No, those are fair assessments that uh, I don't have a problem with. All right, let's keep moving then. 18 away from the top there. Let's go to Decatur, Georgia. Brother Malik's waiting for us on line two. Brother Malik, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Uh, good morning, Brother Quasey and Brother Dr. Horn. Uh, I have a question. Um, have he heard the clip of Eric Prince talking about recolonizing Africa? And then I have another question about Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Mali, and other countries as they renounce the IMF and speak out against Western occupation and using their own African currency, I think it's a matter of when and not if the West will attempt to demonize these countries and attempt to evade them. What should our response be as black people outside of Africa when this happens? All right. Uh, thank you for those questions, uh, Brother Lee. Good, good questions. So uh, Eric Prince's uh, question first, Dr. Horn. Can you, if you can tell the audience who Eric Prince is first. So Eric Prince is an heir to a major fortune. He's better known for starting this mercenary firm that was once called Blackwater. His idea of recolonizing Africa is basically blowing smoke. I mean, that's beyond the possibility of accomplishment. Certainly, there could be further neocolonialism in Africa, which is going on as we speak, and with regard to the second point, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger have broken away from ECOWAS, the Economic Community of West African States, which is dominated by Nigeria. This is in part due to the fact that these countries are now ruled by the military, not only ruled by the military, but by military that is patriotic, that has a bone to pick with the former colonizing power that is France. Will there be an attempt to invade these countries? 
I think that the United States has enough on its plate with regard to keeping a lid on Ukraine, ditto for France and Germany and Britain as well. Will there be attempts to destabilize these countries further? Of course there will be. What should our response be? Our response should be opposition, staunch and firm opposition to such diabolical plans. So you don't see the French Foreign Legion uh, jumping into Niger, Mali or Burkina Faso anytime soon? I think that's highly unlikely. I think it's highly unlikely. As I said, France has already said that its priority is Ukraine, because as it sees it, if Russia is permitted to prevail in Ukraine, France sees that as much more of a threat than what goes on thousands of miles away in West Africa. Now, the breakaway where these countries, as you mentioned, they're former Francophone uh, countries, and if they form their own economic uh, group, will that that hurt the rest of the African states in in ECOWAS? Well, ECOWAS certainly has been wounded when you have these three key states uh, basically uh, leave that organization. But Nigeria has itself to blame because during the time of the change of regime in Niger in July 2023, there was a lot of loose talk coming out of Nigeria about a military intervention in Niger, a military intervention that would have been backed by France in the United States. I think that's much more likely that uh, France and the United States will be able to manipulate a country like Nigeria to do its dirty work more so than the French Foreign Legion or U.S. paratroopers uh, leaping into a fracas in West Africa. All right, 14 away from the top there with Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Horn, since we're on the continent, tell us what's going on in Namibia. Well, the president, Hagi Gangab, who, by the way, was educated in the Bronx, Fordham University, has just passed away at the age of 82. Uh, Interestingly enough, like, a number of leaders of Namibia, formerly German Southwest Africa, a northern neighbor of South Africa, awash in natural resources, including uranium, diamonds, etc. A number of their leaders were, in fact, married to black American women, for example. So there's been a very close relationship between Namibia uh, and uh, black Americans over the decades. What was remarkable about Hagi Gangab, the late leader of Namibia, was that he backed South Africa's case against Israel in the International Court of Justice. He was quite critical, to put it mildly, of the former colonial power in Namibia, speaking of Germany, for not offering up reparations to the people of Namibia, despite the fact that the first genocide of the 20th century uh, took place in that part of Africa, directed at the Nama and Herero people, and despite the fact that, of course, uh, Berlin offered up reparations to Israel because of the Holocaust, even though Israel wasn't in existence until after the Holocaust ended. So we will miss uh, Hagi Gangab. Uh, we need his clear voice, and uh, let's hope that Namibia can continue down his path. Any kind of suspicious, you know, the way he was taken out or or his accident, if you will, or or is it uh, cut and dry? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you never know. I mean, I would have to speculate. I mean, he was 82 years old. He had a case of cancer. Uh, That does not seem extraordinary uh, in retrospect. But who knows what documents will emerge sometime down the road? 
All right, 12 away from the top. Bobby Wine, another one in Uganda who's uh, looking for a political, I guess, a political place to rest his head. How do you see his, his candidacy? Well, interestingly enough, uh, there's a documentary about Bobby Wine that's playing all over the place. Uh, he is the Ugandan dissident who's been challenging President Yoweri um, Museveni. Uh, I'm not sure if he will ultimately prevail because Mr. Museveni has a stranglehold over the military. One of his um, sons is, in fact, controlling the military. But uh, Bobby Wine, as I said, he's very well known in this country because of that documentary, which, by the way, is playing in Los Angeles as we speak. Oh, wow. Ten away from the top of the hour. Uh, let's, let's go to Gaza. What is the latest you're hearing with Gaza? Netanyahu seems like uh, he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to stand down. He wants to go in and just wipe out all the Gazians out there. What are you hearing, uh, Dr. Horn? Well, the latest news is that Mr. Netanyahu would like to expand the conflict to Rafa, which borders Egypt. There's a possibility that this could be triggering to the government in Cairo. Part of the security architecture of Israel has been the so-called peace agreement with Egypt, which could dissolve if Mr. Netanyahu carries through on his pledge and vow to go into Rafah. Israel's economy is in freefall. Demonstrations against Mr. Netanyahu and the tens of thousands have resumed. Recall that he has corruption cases hanging over his head. There's the sneaking suspicion that he would like to keep the war going because that delays the opportunity for him to go into court and face the music, which could lead to a prison sentence. It is the case that previous Israeli prime ministers have been in prison. I'm speaking of Ehud Olmert, for example, one of his predecessors. So Mr. Netanyahu has his hands full. And of course, he's causing many problems for Mr. Biden on this side of the Atlantic, particularly in the state of Michigan, which has a large Arab American population, many of whom have pledged to not vote for Mr. Biden in November 2024 which could harm his electoral chances in that swing state. Yeah, I'm glad you went there. I was going to go there. Is there a way back for Biden to win those disenchanted voters in Michigan, especially the voters of of, uh, Arab origin? It's going to be very difficult because Mr. Biden also is in hock to the Zionist lobby, uh, which has more votes and certainly more money than the Arab-American lobby, and the Zionist lobby has influence in the media. It has influence in the academy, and it's going to be very difficult for Mr. Biden to cross that Zionist lobby, even if the possibility looms of his losing Arab-American votes. And losing Detroit, losing Michigan. If you think at some point now they've figured out, well, we're going to lose Michigan, so we're going to have to, you know, get another state to get these electoral votes. Do you think that they're figuring that out on the chessboard right now? Because, as you mentioned, there doesn't seem a way back for him. There's no off-ramp for him to, to even, you know, get those people back in the state of Michigan, especially because in Dearborn and those cities, to get them back to, to, to support the Democratic Party. Well, part of it, 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We lost Dr. Horn. Hopefully he's... Uh, yeah, I hope he's gone. It's eight minutes away from the top of the hour. We're coming up on a break real soon. Then Mark from Anaheim has sent a couple of questions for Dr. Horn. Hopefully we'll get Dr. Horn back. Let me just read the questions. Mark, Mark wants him to explain to the listeners how when the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, would hijack commercial airlines, they'd always let all the black people go. So that's one of the questions he has. The other question he has, uh, when Eric Garner was killed by the NYPD, uh, Palestinians supported blacks here in the U.S. before uh, much before he says Black Lives Matter did, and if you listen to the rap hip-hop songs in Europe and Israel, Palestinians sound blacker than blacks in, in this nation because Palestinians are seen by blacks around the world as the N-words of, of uh, Israel. So we're going to get all that information, those questions for Dr. Horn when we come back. But we got to take a short break. Dr. Horn, when we come back, Mark Manheim has sent some questions for you. And I'll let you respond to those questions as well. And, of course, we want to talk about the movie Origin, uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, movie as well. Family, you got some questions for Dr. Horn? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. And we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. A minute after the top of that with our guest from the University of Houston, Dr. Gerald Horn. If you'd like to speak to Dr. Horn, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. As I mentioned before we left for the break, uh, Mark from Anaheim says hello, Dr. Horn. He said he would like for you to explain to the listeners how when the Palestine, Palestine Liberation Organization, the PLO, would hijack commercial airlines, they'd always let the black people go. Well, it's not only the Palestinians. Recall that when the U.S. Embassy in Iran was taken, the students, quote-unquote, who seized that embassy also tried to release many of the black American employees. I think that what's happening is that they are trying to carry favor with black Americans. They suspect that black Americans are alienated from the United States and that, therefore, uh, they could be uh, wooed by the Palestinians or the Iranians. Recall that uh, in Maryland, shortly after the Iranian Revolution, 1979, that there was a black American. I think his name at that time was David Belfield, who was involved in an attempt to eliminate a dissident in Maryland. And then he escaped to Iran, where he is now an actor. He's in the movie Kandahar, for example, if you want to screen that particular flick. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Uh, two minutes after the top there, Mark also said that when Eric Garner was killed in New York, killed in New York by New York NYPD with custody, uh, Palestinians supported blacks here in the U.S. before much of Black Lives Matter did, and that if you listen to rap, hip-hop songs in Europe, Israel, Palestinians sound blacker than blacks uh, in this nation because Palestinians are seen as the black around the world as the N-words of Israel. Well, it's not just Palestinians. There's been a lot of publicity uh, of late about the Jewish community in Israel of Ethiopian descent who are treated uh, shabbily, uh, to put it mildly. So it's not just the Palestinians who are disproportionately Muslim, disproportionately Christian, uh, who are treated uh, rather terribly uh, under Israeli jurisdiction. Uh, You have black Jewish people who also are treated rather atrociously as well. Are these the better Israel, the the Falashas, or or these other Israelis who have have, obtained Israeli citizenship? Well, there are the so-called Falashas who have Jewish origins stretching back uh, hundreds of years and who were airlifted out of Ethiopia uh, decades ago. Recall that in this special election that took place on Long Island just last week to replace the now disgraced congressman, uh, former congressman George Santos, that the Republican candidate was of Ethiopian Jewish origin, although, of course, she is now a U.S. national. And so there are also some black Americans, for example, who are part of the Israeli populace right now, who also oftentimes complain about how they're treated shabbily as well in Israel. Right. And, and, and Trump referred to that uh, that candidate as not being a, a, a regular or proper or whatever <laughs> Republican. But we knew what we read through the lines, we know what he meant, that she wasn't a real Republican you know, or a real American or something to that extent. Four after the top of the hour, Dr. Holmes, some more folks want to talk to you. On line two, Carl's waiting for us. He's down in Palm Beach, Florida. Carl, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. How you doing, Sam? Uh, my question, Dr. Horn, is um, as you look at the multitude of the complex problems that are plaguing the black Americans, is there any politician articulating something for us for us to look at the opposite, I mean, the opposite side, as opposed to us always looking at it from the negative and looking at it from others' perspective? So my question is, is there anything, you know, this is Black History Month, and if we had somewhere uh, in the country where we need to be focusing our energy, uh, uh, some direction as it relates to um, articulating some kind of way that we could get something uh, from either candidate, uh, whatever, but it give us some direction on where we should take our vote um, in this next election cycle that's getting ready to take place in America. Well, if I understand the question, I, I thought you were beginning by asking about particular individuals. And of course, I was prepared to uh, tout and provide accolades to Cori Bush of St. Louis, for example, who is now under fire. She's a congresswoman uh, serving in Washington, or Congresswoman Andre Carson of Indiana, Congresswoman Summer Lee of Western Pennsylvania. All have come out in favor of a ceasefire with regard to Israel's massacres in Gaza, which 
inevitably will mean that they will face stiff opposition for re-election, not least from the Zionist lobby. I think those particular individuals uh, deserve our support. Now, the second part of your question seems to suggest that we should be moving away from that sort of defensive voting towards offensive voting. The problem, of course, is, you know, I'm sure this is not news to you, that the United States is a right-wing country. The House of Representatives is dominated by the Republicans. Mike Johnson, the speaker, is an ultra-Trumpista, for example. And so until you can change that situation, inevitably we're going to be on the defensive. But, but Carl, can I say this? I know I, what I was trying to articulate was in America, our problem has been education, economics, homelessness, and all of these kind of areas, and we still see a constant deterioration of our communities, but we haven't had a voice that can articulate that. And I was wondering, had we made an attempt anywhere around the country so that we possibly might be able to look at an example of what we could do inside of our own state, our own uh, area, you know what I mean? So I, that's what I was looking at, not for the benefit of somebody else. I was looking for some articulation so that we could have some benefit, you know what I mean, after we give our vote. Well, the only thing I would have to say in response is that if you look at the hundreds of years of history of black people in North America, what has been the saving grace, what has helped that rescue us, which we have lost sight of, is internationalizing our struggle. Uh, that is to say, because this country is so conservative, we've had to go beyond the jurisdiction of this country to seek justice. I mean, slavery was able to be abolished because of an international movement against slavery, the same for the retreat of Jim Crow in the 1950s. But since that particular maneuver, we've lost sight of that. And so it's difficult for me to recommend, make a recommendation because I can't think of any politician right now who's really thinking internationally beyond, of course, the calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Okay, right. I'm gone because I, I can't get there. I was still trying to get if you knew anybody helping us here in America that was articulating some stuff for us. That's what I was trying to find out. But thank you for your time. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Carl. All right. 800-450-7876. Uh, Casey's calling from Maryland on line four. Casey, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Uh, yeah, good morning, Brother Casey, and uh, to you, Dr. Horn. As we are approaching today, with our Slave Masters President's Day, I want to just continue always to never let us forget our fallen revolutionary president. I haven't heard his name mentioned on any black airwaves at all this weekend. And it's always going to be on the top of my mind, Dr. Khaled Muhammad, who passed away this weekend, just passed. So I want to acknowledge and raise the vibration on our brother. I want to ask my question is, have you seen the movie, Bob Marley's movie, on his life? And in every documentary that you see on Bob in the past and in the present, they never, it's a scene where Bob was shot. And in this new movie, all of the old movies and the documentaries they let you know, and it was a clear, a clear understanding that the CIA was involved in that assassination. And in this new movie, they hid the hand of the CIA. 
So I wanted to know, what do you think about the movie? Did you see it or do you plan on seeing it? All right. Thanks, Casey. Dr. Horn? I have not seen the new Bob Marley movie. I understand it deals with a couple of years in his life as opposed to his entire life and career. There was a showing of the movie at the Pan-African Film Festival here in Los Angeles from where I'm now speaking. With regard to the CIA being involved in an attempted shooting of Marley, I'm familiar with that allegation. I'm not sure if it's ever been proven, which is not necessarily shocking or surprising. However, I will recommend another movie that I did see out here at the Pan-African Film Festival about the late writer Amiri Baraka. The film is, was made in London some years ago, and so it doesn't cover his entire career, but it does have the advantage of having him on camera, and it also has the advantage of interviewing his father, who sheds quite a bit of light on the origins and roots of the man once known as Leroy Jones, who died as Mary Baraka. All right, 11 after the top down. Uh, thank you, for KC, for that question. I actually saw the movie, the Marley movie, this weekend and then went to a Jamaican restaurant and tried to uh, ask them what they thought about the movie. They didn't like it, and, but they, and a lot of them pointed out to the fact that uh, Marley's oldest son, Ziggy, produced the, the, the movie. And if, many of you know he's married to a, an Israeli, and he's also part of that, you know, he's, he's a Zionist. And for that, they couldn't, they couldn't, you know, really digest the movie knowing his background. I just want to throw that in there for people who are going to see it. But if you can separate that from, from his dad, you'll enjoy the movie. But anyway, let's keep rolling. At 12 after the top there. David is calling from Washington, D.C. He's on line three. Good morning, David. Yes, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, Dr. Horn, I'd like to ask you a question about what is going to happen on the 26th of this month in Russia. Russia is inviting all the Palestinian factions, including Hamas, to meet. I don't know what the intentions are. I was reading that the PA, Palestinian Authority, is is saying they will accept uh, Hamas, but they need to Hamas needs to agree to some conditions for unity. I just want your thoughts about that, and uh, that's all. Thank you for taking my call. Well, I, I had not heard about this upcoming meeting in Moscow. That doesn't surprise me because historically Russia had been a supporter of the Palestinians despite a recent thrust by Mr. Netanyahu to get Russia on side. It has not worked out very well. Certainly there have been disputes stretching back years between Hamas and Gaza and the Palestinian Authority and the West Bank. I think that the massacres perpetrated by Israel have brought those two contending forces closer together. And let's hope that if this meeting in Moscow takes place, that both factions materialize. All right, 13 after the top of the hour, we come back. Johnny and Christian want to talk to you, but we got to take a short break here. Family, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Gerald Horn, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. 
800-450-7876. Those numbers to call. Speak to Dr. Horn. Johnny's uh, on hold for us. He's calling from Long Beach out in California. He's on line five. Johnny, you're on with Dr. Horn. Oh, thanks for taking my call. How are you doing, Dr. Horn? Uh, oh, good. Things. I have two quick, quick things. Um, Project 25. Project 2025. Can you explain to the audience? Now, I want to ask you another question about the 14th Amendment, Section 3. In that, during that hearing with the Supreme Court, you know, um, he, the, the guy who was arguing for Colorado, he mentioned two senators back then, uh, a Reverdy Johnson and a, 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 a um, Lot Morrell, and, 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 they, and they talked about it. And they said, that, they, uh, that they, that why wouldn't the president and the vice president be excluded? And they said that they, they, they were part of, the, part of that section. Now, is the is the is the um the, the Constitution is is that the law of the land? Yes, the Constitution is the governing document for all fifty states and the District of Columbia. Right. And you so. You, so your first question, let's, let's do it in order first and give him a chance to respond. Your first question was about what first, Johnny? Yeah, Project, project 2025. Okay. Dr. Horn? Uh, you're going to have to brief me about Pro- Project 2025. But that, that, that's a new oh, one. I'm sorry. I thought, I, thought, I thought you knew about it. it it's, a, it's, a, it's this document that um, the, the Heritage Foundation and plus uh, uh, oh, other, right, other right. conservative, conservative, uh, uh, um, uh, um, agencies that they got together and they put this put this this, this thing together where it's like they're it's gonna be um like it's, it's like, basically um, an outline they plan what they want to do when when they take over the uh, the the when they win the election in in the in the fall that's what Johnny's trying to say and they will eliminate the federal government and all of that and basically the the next Republican standard bearer is going to be a dictator. That's what Project Twenty. That's the Heritage Foundation. You know, it's a conservative group. That's what they've been saying. See. So well, uh, well. Could you take? Could you? You know, it's like next time you come on, can you take a look at and see what we're talking about? Because I like I like to get your feedback on that because it's something that a lot of people need to know about it because you know um, they want to get rid of. As a matter of fact, uh, I I was listening to Steve Bannon on a on a foreign radio station, and he was talking about. These people are already already set to go. They're already they already got the people who are going to come in on day one, and they're just going to move people out. You know, um, uh, career uh, career um, government workers. They're going to move them out, and, and you're going to have to go along with with the with the program. Now, right. the, yeah. the next one. Is, well, let me respond, Johnny. Go ahead, Doctor Horn. Okay. Well, sure. I mean, I'm familiar with the plans of the Trump forces, uh, Project 2025. The particular agency we should be concerned about is the Justice Department. That is to say, to use their prosecutorial abilities to put behind bars or to put on trial many opponents of the Trump agenda. Also, to help to weaken the civil service, uh, help to weaken the ability of these thousands of federal employees in the district, Maryland, and Virginia. Their 
civil service protections, their labor union protections, et cetera. They already have significant influence in the courts, particularly the U.S. Supreme Court, which suggests that there, if there are any lawsuits, that those lawsuits probably will not succeed because of conservative influence in the court. So it's a very serious, dire situation that you are outlining and that we are facing. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, and the other one was about the 14th Amendment, because like during the 14th Amendment, Section 3, they don't, they, they, they always talk about the insurrection, but they never say anything about the rebellion. And Trump's lawyer was arguing that it was a riot, and there's a correlation between a riot and a, and, and, and a, and a, and a rebellion. You know, it's like it seems to me, it, you know, he took part in that. Well, yeah, thanks, I agree Johnny. with you. All right, thanks, though. All right, let me ask you this: Since we we're talking about it, because somebody requested that you explain, and I don't know what it is, and, and, and I know it's BS, but the, you know, we've got some people coming into knowledge, so they want to know about the King Alfred plan. Dr. Horn. So the late novelist John A. Williams wrote a book some years ago. Once again, it's fiction, where he outlines what is what's called the King Alfred plan. It's this plan to get rid of black people in North America. But setting aside fiction, uh, if you look at history and documented fact, uh, there is no doubt that going back hundreds of years, particularly after the founding of the United States in 1776, there were repeated plans to get rid of the free Negro population, which, of course, was disproportionately cited in the state of Maryland for various reasons. And in fact, Abraham Lincoln himself, as he was crafting the Emancipation Proclamation, the idea was that emancipation should be followed by what was called colonization. That is to say, sending the Negroes to the Caribbean, to Brazil, to whoever might take us. So setting aside the King Alfred plan, which is fiction, there have been documented plans over the decades to get rid of black people in North America. Yeah, it's kind of like the Willie Lynch letter. It's 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 a fake, but it, uh, it has some... Uh, spices, uh, I guess, some sprinkles of of reality there. It, it, would you say? Would you say that, that would be a good explanation? Well, sure. I mean, what what I find sort of baffling is that since there are documented historical plans to get rid of black people, why do people resort to a fictional story coming out of a novel by John A. Williams? That that's what I find rather baffling. All right. 27 out of the top there. Our Christians join us. Christian's in Malibu. He's on line one. Good morning, Christian. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, gentlemen. 
I'm glad you didn't address that uh, year 25 uh, foolishness. That's just like um, uh, Democrats put out that QAnon. It's just hysteria. What we need to be understanding is last week, George Soros just bought the communication system Odyssey, which is the number two United States uh, communication system behind SiriusXM. And his whole thing is propaganda. Now, what I call for, the battle plan for Israel is to kill all of them, all of them. You have a statesman, George, uh, I mean, Biden, who's talking to a general. Not the general, just happens to be a statesman statesman as himself. But the battle plan is to kill them all. When I was a little kid, we had a ranch in Fort Bend County outside of Houston, and we let the animals go out in free range. And later in the afternoon, we'd bring them back into the pen. And what it is, you bring them back into the pen, Sometimes you slaughter them. They've moved them people from North Gaza all the way down to the south. Now this is the kill. And none of these stations, CBS, ABC, uh, NBC, none of them are calling, um, what do they call it when you kill everybody, a massacre, genocide? Not one of them has said it. But in Ukraine, when Russia attacked Ukraine, every five minutes they were showing the atrocities that Russia did and calling it a genocide. So the battle plan is to kill all of them. you got a general talking to a statesman. He's not going to listen to the statesman because he's also a statesman. Go ahead, doctor. Tell me what you think. Well, if I understand what you were saying, you're suggesting what has been documented, which is that there is a massacre unfolding as we speak in historic Palestine. That was the basis for South Africa dragging Israel to the International Court of Justice in The Hague. With regard to the second point, I'm not so clear on what you were trying to say there. Were you trying to say that there is a plan to do to black people in the United States what's being done to the Palestinians in Gaza, or did I mishear you? No, no, but it's not beyond reproach. If they'll do to these people, it's not unfathomable for the things they won't do it to us. But right now, they're doing it in front of the world, and nobody's— Nobody's saying nothing. You know, none of these other countries that are aligned with America are not saying anything. They're not saying, look, this is wrong. You're killing these people. These people are basically uh, innocent, you know, and they know it. They're using phosphorus bombs on these people. Yeah, I guess he's actually saying, why is there some, so, so much silence from the rest of the world while this atrocity takes place in Gaza, uh, Dr. Horn? Thanks, Christian. You're welcome. Well, I, I'm I'm not sure if there is silence. As I said, South Africa took uh, Israel to the International Court of Justice. If you look at opinion in Africa, in West Asia, in East Asia, for example, there's a lot of dissent with regard to Palestine. Even in Europe, uh, you see that the Spanish government, the Irish government, are not necessarily on board with regard to these massacres. Of course, the German government is on board. The British government is on board. And perhaps because these are powerful governments, you assume that they speak for all of Europe, which I don't think is accurate. And, and, and again, 29 away from the top. They are, the, the, Egypt, well, we, seen some, we, we keep hearing the Arab nations are saying things. We're not really doing anything. Now we hear see, Egypt is, is sealing its borders uh, with, with Gaza, near Rafa. What, what's behind that? Well, I think Egypt is concerned that Israel wants to expel the Gazan population 
And we know what happened in 1947, 1948. People were expelled, and they've been trying to get back to their homelands ever since. So I think that Egypt wants to forestall the possibility that Gazans will be expelled to the Sinai Desert, for example. And I think that in that regard, uh, they are being supported in the Arab world. And speaking of the Arab world, we all know that the Yemenis have basically imposed a kind of sanction on the Israeli economy because they're shooting at ships that are trying to traverse the Suez Canal to get to the Israeli port of Elat, for example. So once again, it would be a mistake to assume that all Arabs are silent. It is fair to say that many Arabs are silent. Yeah. Did you see this conflict spreading, though, Dr. Horn? Well, of course, it's it's possible. We we know that the United States and Israel would like to, in their words, go to the head of the snake, which is Iran. They see Iran as being behind the Yemenis, being behind Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, which is shooting missiles into northern Israel, which has caused the abandonment of many Israeli nationals of a good deal of Israeli territory. So, so th- th- that's why I'm a little puzzled by this idea that there has been acquiescence to what Israel is doing. Uh, far from it. Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons why Israel and the United States would like to expand the war into Iran. All right, 27 away from the top. Yeah, we have to get short, but we've got a tweet question for you. I also want to talk about Ava DuVernay's movie, Origin. The t- I'm going to read the tweet for you. The tweeter says, it seems that the attacks on black women are escalated and in some cases, the black man has sided with the others against the sisters. Are they being paid, or is this a self-hatred? That's a tweet question for us. And uh, Pamela has a question for you, too, when we get back. As I mentioned, we got to take a short break, our last break. We're back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. For in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. Our guest is Dr. Gerald Horn. Before we go back to Dr. Horn, let me just shout out to our uh, peeps out in L.A. Tony Brado is out there in L.A. He's going to be at Christ Unity Center. That's at 78th and Western. Uh, this evening at 6, he's going to preview the, the life and uh, the life and assignment, the global assignment, pardon me, The Life and Times of Dr. Renoko Rashidi. And you can buy that uh, movie or documentary. You can rent it. But Tony's going to be out there at Christ Unity Center at 78th and Western uh, at 6 o'clock this evening. He's going to preview that when he's going on to San Francisco later. He was in San Diego uh, last week, so he's going to over now. To He's in L.A., so he's going to do that tonight. Next week, some of our guests include journalist Peter Bailey. As I mentioned, hey, Peter Bailey was one of the last persons to speak with Brother Malcolm before he was assassinated, and that was uh, 59 years ago. This thing, it was 59 years ago come Thursday. Also, the master teacher himself, Brother Ashwa Kwesi, will be with us, and attorney Dwight Pettis is going to also analyze some of these lawsuits that Donald Trump is facing. So if you're in Baltimore, Make sure your radio's locked in real tight on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Dr. Horn, this, this tweet from this sister says, it seems that the attacks on black women escalated and in some cases that the black man has decided with the others against the sisters. Are they being paid or is this self-hatred? Well, you'd have to tell me who, who are the black men that the sister is referring to because... I'm sort of 
in the dark. I mean, do you know what she's referring to? I think, well, you know, in the Marilyn Mosby case, we had some brothers, so so-called brothers, who came out against Marilyn Mosby. And, you know, said so she did the crime, she didn't do the time and all of this nonsense, you know, sided with the oppressor, even though what she was doing to help them, they you know, but somehow, uh, you know, they, they deluded into thinking that they're, 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 they're they, you know, they're part of this. They're not part of us. They're part of them. They're on the illusion of inclusion. I think because this is the is uh, from Baltimore. Well, with regard to the Marilyn Mosby case, obviously that has been not serving justice. The fact that she's been put on trial. Uh, I'm not sure if the black men who spoke out against her were being paid, but certainly if they weren't paid, they missed a paycheck. Gotcha. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour, up in Marlboro, uh, Pamela's waiting for us. She's online too. Pamela, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, Dr. Horn, um, we understand that there's been, it seems like this methodical conservative attack against us as a people, as a form of being against like diversity, equity, inclusion, affirmative action, the 1619 Project, critical race theory, history of us as a people down in the state of Florida, Texas, Virginia, they're going to remove all that information, and it's all being backed by conservative think tanks. Could you, in the future, give us an educational class on such uh, think tanks as the Heritage Foundation, the Federalist Society, the John Birch Society, the Koch Brothers, and such? All right. Thanks, Pamela. We're going to let you go because your phone's uh, going south on us. Dr. Horn? Well, it would be difficult to do in the few minutes we have available, but to be brief, the John Birch Society came into existence decades ago. Uh, It was an explicitly anti-communist organization, had quite a bit of strength in Southern California, particularly Orange County. The Heritage Heritage Foundation, as we've just articulated in the last few minutes, is a conservative think tank that has influence in Washington, D.C., is working hand in glove with the Trump administration with regard to the so-called Project 2025. The Federal Society is an organization that tries to populate the federal judiciary with conservatives, and they've been quite successful in that regard. All right. Uh, 18 away from the top. Yeah, the movie uh, Origin, Ava DuVernay's movie, uh, Dr. Horn, can you explain? Some people missed the, the, what, what she was trying to, you know, show or prove in the movie, and some people disagreed with her. She was saying it was about casteism as opposed to racism. How did you view it? So the movie is based upon a nonfiction book by the former New York Times journalist Isabel Wilkerson. And the book tries to suggest that we need to look at the plight of black people through the lens of caste, C-A-S-T-E, as opposed to race. And she travels to Nazi Germany, travels to India, draws analogies between the plight of the so-called untouchables in India and the plight of black Americans. The movie was very well funded. It had a $38 million budget. They had funding from the Ford Foundation, from Melinda Gates, from the widow of Steve Jobs, from basketballer Chris Paul, etc. I think the movie is worth seeing, not least because of the performances. However, I'm not sure where it gets us if we just simply substitute cast for race. Although I'm always in favor of new approaches uh, to the situation of black people in the United States of America. 
So as far as we're concerned, is race the issue or is it caste? Because that's the issue that the black folks who've seen the movie seem to, you know, trying to wrestling with right now. Well, I mean, I think all of these concepts are helpful, as well as the question of class, because black people were brought here to be the unpaid sector of the working class. And since slavery was abolished, oftentimes we occupied the lowest level of the working class. So all of these concepts are very useful. That is to say, race is a useful concept. Class is a useful concept. Uh, class is a useful concept. Uh, I don't think we should exclude any of them in trying to figure out where we are and where we're going. All right, 16 away from the top of the hour. Money Mike's joining us from Baltimore. He's on line two. Good morning, Money Mike. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Dr. Horn. Dr. Horn, my question, my question is, is do black people have a lobbyist or a lobbying firm that lobbies for us on behalf of us? And if we don't have one, why, after all of these years, we don't have one? And, you know, we need somebody to lobby for us. I know we don't pay or we don't want to pay for a lobbyist, but every other group or every other organization or every other cause, as a lobbyist on K Street in Washington, D.C., why don't black people have one? And if I'm incorrect, please let me know. Well, the NAACP has a lobbying arm in Washington, D.C. There is the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. <clears throat> At one time, there was TransAfrica, which lobbied about foreign policy issues. It's no longer in existence. The National Urban League uh, lobbies intermittently in Washington, D.C. as well. So, yes, there is a black lobby. You may want to question how effective they are, but you can't question the fact that they exist. Okay, but do we pay them? And I mean politicians. Everybody else who knows that politicians are influenced by money. All of them. It's just the nature of the job. And I don't see these organizations having any financial power to influence any legislator anywhere on our behalf. And and why haven't our leaders figured that out? You know, we don't pay to play. So why, can, why do we expect politicians to work on our behalf when we don't understand the game? And the game is money. It's pay them. And we don't want to pay, I believe. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And that'll be it, Carl. I'll, I'll take his answer off. Uh, all right. Thanks, Money Mike. A good question, too, because this is not just relates to just the politicians, even our scholars. You know, it seems like we don't want to pay, but other groups do that. But go ahead, Dr. Horn. I'll let you respond to Money Mike's question. Well, I think that paying politicians could be considered bribery, particularly 
when you have a conservative prosecutorial force, conservative judiciary, that gives extreme scrutiny to what black people do in the United States of America. What we do have is votes. What we do have is about 43, 44 members of the U.S. House of Representatives involved in the Congressional Black Caucus. So I agree that there was more that needs to be done, but I'm not so sure if paying politicians – that sounds like bribery unless I'm mistaking what's being said. Yeah, I think he's referring to like the Dr. Claude Anderson says we need to rent them like other groups do and, you know, let them, you know, carry our water in Washington, D.C. I think that's kind of where Money Mike is going with this. They're ineffective for us, I guess that's what he's saying. Well, given the plight that we face, I understand what motivates that content, that comment. Yeah. Uh, 12 away from the top here, uh, Dr. Horn, Super Bowl just took place. You know, some people were saying it was fixed, uh, that uh, it was already knew that Kansas City was going to win, even though it, it was a sort of an exciting game. It didn't it wasn't a blowout. Uh, your thoughts on, on, on the Super Bowl? I have no evidence <laughs> to suggest that it was fixed. Of course, the Republicans were very upset about the relationship between Taylor Swift the pop singer, and Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City tight end. And I think that led them to these ideas that somehow the fix was in, but I've seen no evidence in that regard. And do you think that they're, they're speculating that she's going to come out and support uh, Joe Biden and then already started their attacks on her? Uh, how do you see all of that? Is, is this just part of their, their game plan? Because they seem to be pulling out all stops just to get Donald Trump reelected. Well, she's endorsed Democrats in her native Tennessee, although the Democrats that she endorsed did not prevail. So I'm not sure what that says about her pull and her influence. I think that obviously there is a powerful lobby, to use that phrase, that wants to see Mr. Trump return to the White House. And and in fact, given the fact that he has to cough up about a half billion dollars, there's already speculation that he's offering himself up for auction to the highest bidder. And that highest bidder might come from Saudi Arabia, where his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has already been allotted about $2 billion to play with. So the United States faces a very dire situation with regard to this presidential race. Yeah, and so he he's, he owes all this money now. He's, he's hawking uh, tennis shoes at the last we saw last night, trying to get people to buy tennis shoes. But he, he could just go to his son-in-law, where I guess some people think think that the Saudis parked $2 billion in, in his son-in-law and in his daughter's account. How do you see that? Well, sure. Supposedly, uh, Jared Kushner uh, and uh, his spouse, the president's uh, former president's uh, daughter, will be investing that money. It's, it's not just an outright gift. They're supposed to bring a return for that $2 billion. But I think it's apparent that with Mr. Trump ahead in the polls, with his being, in a sense, favored to prevail in November, that he'll be up for auction. Uh, and uh, that obviously casts doubt upon the sovereignty of the United States of America. Yeah, 10 minutes away from the top there. Our NBA All-Star game last night. It seems like uh, defense is just out of the question. Do you think they need to revamp the, the, the setup of the, the NBA All-Star game? Well, you know, I, I've heard that talk. I mean, 200 points, even in an exhibition game, is a bit much. 
But at the same time, we, we saw an extraordinary display of talent, particularly by Dame Willard, who was consistently hitting shots from midcourt, or from Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks, who was able to dribble through a guy's legs and score a layup. So I think it was a, a useful exhibition of talent, despite the absence of defense. Right. And baseball starting, uh, uh, pitchers, catchers, players reporting to, for spring training. Any, it's, I know it's sort of early, but are the Dodgers still the favorite? Well, I would say so, particularly since they were able to sign uh, Otani, who is not going to pitch this year, but will still be hitting homers this year. He'll be pitching next year. Uh, and, of course, uh, I would say that the Dodgers are the odds-on favorite to prevail in the World Series in October, November. All right. Before we let you go, your latest book, which one is the latest one? Because you've got several books out there. And how can we get copies of your books? Well, the copies are all over the place. All you have to do is put my name into a search engine. The, one book is called Acknowledging Radical Histories. It's a book of conversations where I talk about my past work. Another book is called I Dare Say, a Gerald Horn Reader which is a collection of articles and essays and reviews that I've written in past decades. And, and, and they're available at all bookstores, I take it? Oh, yeah, they're all over the place. And then yeah. you know, the book on Southern California will be out in July. So what are you working on now? Because you're always working on this book. Well, as I said, the book on Southern California will be out in July. Uh, I'm working on a book on slavery in Washington, D.C. I'm working on a book on Northeast Africa, Egypt, Ethiopia in particular working on a book on Southeast Asia, and about to start a book on baseball probably this summer. Wow. And Dr. Horn writes these books simultaneously. That's, that's, a, that's a skill for you. you know, people just have to concentrate on one project. You've got three or four in, in all working together. Dr. Horn, thank you again for all the information you shared with us this morning. Thank you for inviting me. All right, that's Dr. Gerald Horn family. We got to get out of here. Have a great day, though. Stay strong, stay positive. Please, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.